the Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hello, I'm Eleanor Johnson and welcome to Raising the Bar. We're in Gray's Inn and today we're chatting about tips for pupillage applications. We're talking to Gemma McNeil-Walsh, who's been recently called to the bar and is going to start pupillage in the autumn in media law. She's currently working as a judicial assistant in the Court of Appeal. So, Gemma, thank you for coming to talk to us. It's my pleasure. So, Pupillage Gateway opens on the 28th of November, and I think it's on a lot of people's radar, you know, including mine. I'm applying this year as well. And a lot of people are starting to think about it and getting perhaps a little bit nervous, a little bit apprehensive. Um, where would you say is the best place to start with the Pupillage applications? Um, so, there's two things, really. The first one is that the Pupillage Gateway does technically open on the 28th of November, but as far as I recall, the application form should already be available for download now. So it's just a, it's just a sample form, really. It's not um, different chambers will amend it themselves, but it does give you a really good basis to at least start jotting down some thoughts and thinking of ideas and so on. The second thing, and I know this isn't everybody's way of doing things, but I'm obsessed with spreadsheets. So my first go-to, and I did this the first year I applied, bearing in mind I actually applied three years running. So it became a really useful resource for me. Obviously, we all hope we're going to get pupillage the first time round. But if you don't, the, re the, the spreadsheet is really helpful. So I just started a spreadsheet. I started researching chambers. I started logging down dates, deadlines, interview processes, the types of questions they ask, whether they ask any essays, specific tasks, whether or not they require an assessed mini pupillage, their, their award. All of those sorts of things, I just started recording in a spreadsheet so that by the time I actually got to applying, in each of the years I applied, I had a bit of a roadmap, really, of, of what, I was, what I was doing. So, I mean, preparation, basically. Just don't wait until the 28th to get started because it, it will be too late by then. So this is all really useful in terms of sort of narrowing down your options because I see there are so many chambers, so many different areas yeah. of law. Um, sounds like the spreadsheet with all, with all these ideas sounds really useful, definitely. And I colour-coded it. Amazing. And there's all sorts of things you can do with it. So, <laughs> I mean, anybody that's into spreadsheets, this is honestly a spreadsheet. This is spreadsheet gold. <laughs> I have seen quite a few spreadsheets going around, actually. It's obviously <laughs> the, the way to go and colour-coding. It just makes you feel more sane, you know, if you've yeah. got things in, in <laughs> boxes. Sort of, it structures it out, doesn't it, as it opposed structures to it, yeah. this sort of big cloud of ideas going around. Um, so obviously that's a really, really useful tip for applications. Um, do you have any other top tips for starting with your applications and then for progressing with them? Gosh, okay. Um, I mean, it's a bit of a minefield, the whole thing, really. So I think the starting point really has to be, I would say, be quite reflective about what area of law you want to go into because that will necessarily start to narrow down your options. It's also fine actually if you haven't, if I look at the list of chambers I applied to in years one, two and three, I really started to whittle down what I actually wanted to be doing. So the list of chambers I first applied to ended up being quite different to the list of chambers I applied to in my third year. Mm. So I would think quite carefully about the area of law. Um, I would also think carefully about how many chambers to apply to because depending on what year you're applying, you need to be quite realistic about how 
to spread yourself in terms of all the other commitments that you have. So you can apply to 12 on the gateway and there's loads of other, especially if you're doing something like crime, there's loads of other off-gateway applications you can do. But if you end up putting in 25 applications on the same year as doing the BPTC, my argument would be that you've probably spread yourself too thin mm. and those applications aren't going to be strong enough. So I would think quite carefully about how many you also choose. So quality to to. over quantity. I would say quality over quantity. Other people would say differently. I mean, mm. I had a friend on the BPTC who did crime, um, is, is now a criminal barrister and put in over 20 mm. applications. Um, I think maybe for, for uh, criminal applications, that sort of approach is more, it's more, is more conducive. Mm. I certainly found that uh, I couldn't apply to that <laughs> many chambers. I couldn't even find that many chambers that I wanted to apply to. So it is a risky strategy. In my third year, I only applied to six, mm. which is quite rare. And it's quite scary at the time to only apply to six. And you have to be quite aware as well, don't you, that especially if we're doing the BPTC, the interviews are around the same time as exams. So it's not just the case of writing these applications, it's submitting them. And then if you're very lucky and you get these interviews, suddenly you've got to balance them all. So that's something to bear in mind as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I just, it, it, it was a really scary strategy because I went the first two years, I did apply for the full 12. And in hindsight, I just, I really, I really, six of those were wasted, mm. to be honest. So I, I don't want to um, say that it's a, it's a strict rule that you should only mm. apply to six just because that's what worked for me. But I do think that it's something worth reflecting on before you get going because, um, I mean, we all get a bit... I mean, every single applicant will, I guarantee it, find more chambers sort of the night before the gateway <laughs> closes and just kind of throw in some extra applications just for the sake of it mm. um, because you kind of think, oh, maybe this will be the one that I get pupillage on. But um, reflecting on the year that it actually went well for me, mm. um, I think the lesson from that was that it was definitely quality over quantity. Right. And you said that when you applied in your third year, the area of law and the chambers you were applying to is quite different. How did you sort of move from the first year of applying to the third year of applying in terms of what kind of law you wanted to go into? Well, I think the problem was that I probably always knew what area of law I wanted to do. I was mm. just worried that it was going to be too niche. Right. So I'm going into media and communications law, which also cover, covers lots of other areas such as data protection and privacy. And I always knew going into the law that that was what I was most interested in, but I was so worried that that would be too niche that I tried to portray myself as being a more civil, broad, right. interested in lots of things practitioner, which is a really hard argument to, to make on your application form. You need to sound like you're open to learning, mm. but you also have to sound like you have some ideas and some direction, you know? So mm. it's quite a hard balance to get. So the first two years, I definitely tried to sort of sideline what my actual interest is. I tried to I applied to lots of general civil common law type sets and tried to pretend I wasn't interested in all this other stuff right. and just say, oh, but I'm also interested in this. Yeah. Please give me pupillage. And by the time I applied in the third year, I thought, well, do you know what? Let's just go for it. Let's just be really honest. Let's be really direct. Let's mm. be really assertive and apply for um, the area of law that I'm most interested in and I think to be honest if you try and pretend you're into anything else they'll just see right through it I yeah. mean the people reading these applications are barristers 
Yeah. So <laughs> they're skilled in, uh, in picking they know up the truth. What they're doing. <laughs> they, can, they can see a hole in any argument and they can mm. see it when you're not entirely convinced. So the main transition really was being more honest, I think, in, in what my actual area of interest was. And that necessarily whittled me down to about six right. chambers that would suit me. So as cliche as it sounds, sort of being true to yourself, I guess, is, <laughs> it's a really top tip. Because obviously, this is, this is a job that you want to do. You know, no one's forcing you to do this job. This is something you've chosen to do. So you might as well go somewhere that you really want to be, that you'll enjoy being at. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and especially if, I mean, and there's lots of people increasingly at the bar now, which I think is fantastic, who for whom their journey to the bar is actually quite long. Mm. I did a non-law related undergrad. Well, I actually worked for two years before I did that. Mm. Then I did a non-law un um, undergrad. Then I did a non-law masters. And then I did the conversion and the BPTC and applied for pupillage. So by the time you get there, you kind of think, well, this has been quite a long road. I'd quite like to end up somewhere that I'm going to be happy and fulfilled and successful. I don't want to end up somewhere just for the sake of it. Mm. And that does take, I will admit, that does take a lot of confidence. And I certainly wasn't in that headspace in my first year. Mm. But by the time I'd been knocked back twice, you, 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 you get, you know, you get to a point of actually being really resilient. Resilient is not just a word that you put on an application for. Resilience is a thing that, you know, it's, it's actually instilled in you. And sort of uh, linking to the fact that you said that you worked for a couple of years before uh, doing your undergrad, obviously the applications will ask you for experiences that aren't necessarily bar related, you know. I think it's actually not that great if absolutely everything you include on there is, oh, it's part of the bar society or I've done this moot or whatever. Obviously that's important. But how would you say, do you have any tips for linking um, sort of less obviously related experience to being a barrister? Well, I think a useful way of starting is to list what you think are the most important qualities or skills in a barrister mm. and then work backwards from that. So basically, I would start with the skill and then try and think of your experience that best matches that skill, mm -hmm. whether it's from a law-related field or not. So, for example, you might say, I am a good problem solver, full stop. This is evidenced by X, Y, and Z. And then you could talk about where you've solved problems in a completely different field, but then you can bring it back at the end of that and say, these are skills that will stand me in good stead in my career as a barrister or maybe not something quite like that but you can bring it back at the end so you start with the skill that is very relevant you evidence it with an example that doesn't necessarily have to be related to the law but then you bring it back at the end and you say these are skills that will be useful to me and that can be something that's it seems completely unrelated can't it so in our first podcast we spoke to Riaz Hussein Kisi about um scholarships and he said that one of the applications he remembers most was about somebody who said they washed pots and how that made them realise what the value of hard work and the fact that they didn't want to be doing that forever. Um, so really sort of think outside the box, would you say, about what you've done and how that can be related? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say the most important thing is to choose the example that's the most relevant to the point you're making. Mm. So not the one that you think sounds the most impressive or necessarily the one that's the most recent. Remember that I, I, the best piece of advice I got about 
writing pupillage applications was that you have to treat it as a piece of written advocacy. So when they're reading it, you have to write it as though it's um, a skeleton argument almost. So I actually felt like I started to use the skills I was learning in drafting and opinion writing and things like that and was translating that into my written application. So to that end, what they're looking for is for you to not only identify the skill, but to then also choose the most relevant example in the same way that you would in a skeleton argument. If you were making a point, you wouldn't then back it up with your worst fact mm. just because it's you think it sounds impressive. You'd choose the one that's best for your case. So the same rule applies when you're writing your application. So the application is an example of your written advocacy, as you've said. When you've read over the same thing again and again and again, I know from experience you can miss the most obvious things, that you can repeat a sentence twice and not realise. So did you ask people to read over your applications before you sent them? I did. I had to really take a deep breath when I did that. Mm. Um, I got a lot better at doing that in my third time. The first and second time, you're still so defensive. <laughs> I would send it to my parents or to friends and they'd come back with feedback and I'd be like, you don't understand. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> this is really hard. This is exactly what they want. I'm not making any of your changes. And then by the time I got to the third year, I got a lot better at basically taking constructive criticism and and just being more reflective about the application and less defensive in general, to be honest. So yes, I would 100% say that you should, that other people should be looking at your applications. I would also say that you yourself have to read the application over and over and over again. And sometimes you will only make tiny little tweaks. Um, if you're not feeling nauseous <laughs> by the time you submit the application, then you've done something wrong. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> that sounds so much fun. I'm I can't sorry. wait. It's, it's the truth. It really is. <laughs> no, I've, um, yeah, I've heard that it's not the most fun process, but people get through it, don't they? It's, they do. Uh, I promise. It's worth it in the end. <laughs> so if you're lucky enough to be chosen for interview after you've submitted your applications, how does this process work? There are first round interviews, aren't there? And then there are second round. So how does the process work overall? So the first thing I would say is that the same rule applies on my point about the written advocacy thing. So my general advice across the board would be that you have to be presenting yourself as a lawyer, as a potential barrister in whatever stage of the application process you're at. So if you're on the paper, it's about your written advocacy. And if you're an interview, it's about your ability to advocate in person in general and to be put under pressure, obviously. The second thing to say is that if you make it off the paper application into interview, then you know you've done the paper bit right. And that in and, it's, in and of itself is a huge achievement. The numbers, especially for huge chambers, are genuinely terrifying. Mm. I mean, I don't want to quote any specific chambers numbers, but some of the top, some of the chambers that get the most applications, sort of two to 300 applications, will probably interview between, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 applicants. So the cut down from the paper to the first interview is, is the most brutal. Then most chambers will obviously have a first round and a second round. First round interviews generally, from what I've heard from other people and from my own experience, tend to be um, relatively informal. They'll ask you questions about your application, about yourself. And in many instances, they might give you 
something to prepare about 10 to 15 minutes before the interview. So you'll turn up, you get a piece of paper, it's got three topics on it or three questions on it, and you'll think about that and they'll use that as a basis for discussion in the interview. The second round interviews tend to be a lot more substantive. You'll often get a task a few days beforehand. You might be making, in a civil case, for example, an application for an interim injunction, or in a criminal set, you might be doing a plea and mitigation or something like that. Those are obviously the very general rules. Chambers have their own specific ways of doing things. And those are the kinds of things that I would research so that you're prepared. And I would put them into that spreadsheet I keep going on about <laughs> so that you're prepared because it's, there's nothing worse than turning up an in, at an interview and being given a piece of paper and told, choose one of these two topics to talk about in 10 minutes time. And if you don't know that's coming, that can be a bit daunting. Mm. So those are the sorts of things that just knowing these things in advance will make you feel a bit more calm, if possible. And obviously you don't know what topics might be coming up, even if you do know they'll be handing uh, you those. So how would you say is the best way to prepare? Would you say sort of keeping up to date with current affairs? Uh, anything else on top of that? I mean, to be honest, I really, it, it is very cliched, but I really don't think you can actually do much specific preparation for those types of questions. Mm. The ones that you get it, if they've given you something in advance, I would go to town on the preparation for those. Mm. I mean, block out whatever else you have, cancel any <laughs> dinner plans, don't even, I, in some instances, I didn't go to classes one day because I wanted to work on an opinion that I was writing. Those are the ones where you can really go to town on the preparation. The ones for the, the other ones I was talking about, so getting a list of topics 10 minutes beforehand, I think those are testing more your ability to think on your feet, under pressure. They're not expecting a lot of knowledge, um, subject-specific knowledge. They're probably just looking to see how you approach the questions. So obviously, think carefully about which one you choose and structure your answer well. Say I have three points to make, I would say X, Y, and Z. Or I've thought about this in the context of pros and cons. My pros are this, my cons are that. Just show them that you've got some structure, show them that you've approached it well. You don't need to know loads of facts. And I think that is, to be honest, all that you can really expect. And the interviewers will also, in other interviews, be asking you things that you do know about, won't they? Because I'll just be asking yourself about yourself. So uh, would you say, know your application inside out, be able to talk about it, whatever they ask? Oh yeah. I mean, I think the main thing really is just that you need to, whatever you're talking about, you just need to structure it well and you need to answer the question. It's, just, it's, yeah. it's I mean, it's age old, isn't it? You get told this when you're GCSEs. You get told, answer the question, read the question, answer the question. And that applies here as well. You don't, don't try and answer. So many people go into these things, even I did in the first year. You go into them knowing the things you want to say. And then you hear a question, you think, oh, that sounds like I could use that as a segue into that other thing I wanted to talk mm. about. But that's not answering the question. And, and they will take that and extrapolate it to, for example, a court scenario where a judge has asked you a question. And in those instances, the judge will turn around and say, Mr. So-and-so, that, or Mrs. So-and-so, that, doesn't answer my question. Mm. So the same rule applies in an interview, just answer the question and don't skirt around it. And you've mentioned present yourself as a lawyer. Part of that 
inevitably is how you're dressed, isn't it? And that is quite daunting for some people I know because obviously wearing suits isn't most of our everyday um, everyday wear. I've had a lot of people talk about buying their suits secondhand. So you can uh, sort of get some really nice fitting clothes <laughs> for uh, minus the extortionate prices. Um, so yeah, it's a little little plug from me. I've been recommended the Oxfam online. It's very good, apparently. It just makes it a little bit more accessible, doesn't it? Because otherwise you've got this extra hurdle of, gosh, I've got to you know, wear the best suit. Obviously, what you look like isn't the most important thing. They can give you that feeling of confidence, can't it? If you know that you sort of, look the part of a lawyer as well oh absolutely it's about feeling it's a bit like why I wear I tend to wear and I think always did wear in interviews I would have my trainers in my backpack and then a re, like a low pair of heels but just the process of kind of putting on some smart shoes mm. even though I was you know round the corner with a backpack not looking very glamorous at all <laughs> and then stepping into the interview I guess it's a bit like I was talking with a friend of mine who's a doctor and she was saying the same thing like when you go into surgery and you put those you put your gloves on and you put your hat on and she says it really feels like you're you know stepping into a particular moment and I think that the way that you dress in court or in an interview has the same effect I totally agree with you that that suits can be ridiculously expensive but I mean, we, I shared some, um, I shared clothes with some friends of mine. There was a lot of like emergency suit changes oh, going on interviews, yep. in the basement <laughs> library toilets um, <laughs> when people were charging off to interviews or people were saying, oh, you know, can I borrow that thing you were wearing the other day? So yeah, I mean, club together, find ways of doing it. Um, I didn't know about the Oxfam suit secondhand option. Yeah. So that's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anytime um yeah it's interesting so I, I've heard obviously you talk about the mentality I've heard people say that um, apparently some barristers put their wig on even when they're working from home and they're writing an advice or something just to get them in the zone <laughs> don't know if that's a common thing but you know if it works it works so uh Grey's Inn provides pupillage application sessions doesn't it where it uh talks to you uh, gives you more advice on pupillage applications did you find these useful I think the main, I am, so I did apply now two years ago, I think. And when I was applying on my third year, I went to a sort of application review evening. That was definitely worth doing. Um, I mean, brutal in the <laughs> sense that somebody sits there with a red pen and says, I wouldn't say that, or I wouldn't say that, or this sounds like X, or this will come across badly, or this makes me think of you like that. So, but as I said before, that that sort of criticism is absolutely in, invaluable. And the more times you've read it, the the less likely you are to be able to recognise the fact that, oh gosh, I sound like a cracked record here now, mm. you know, and so it takes someone else to do that. So I would definitely, whatever Grey's Inn is, is putting on, I would go with bells on. And you've spoken a few times about how obviously you've applied for you've applied three times. I know a lot of my friends and myself were thinking, oh gosh, if I don't get pupillage this year, what's going to happen? Obviously, it's fine, isn't it? Oh, it's totally fine. I mean, my only authority really in terms of giving you these insights on this podcast are insights from two years of failing and a third year of failing bar one, obviously. So 
it's um it's it's been quite the the roller coaster really and so um from that perspective i can certainly say that yes you do keep going and you don't stop applying after your first year um is is this your first year applying it is yeah so oh uh, got all the fun to look forward to <laughs> oh gosh all right well i wish you the best of luck i mean Thank i hope you. that you yeah, get pupillage first time round i do hear do of I. people getting pupillage <laughs> first time round it does happen um but equally it, it's it's a it's a strange beast and um, it takes you a while to get to know it and to know the system. And it's and so competitive. If you don't get it the first time, it's not necessarily a reflection on you, is it? It's just the fact that there are so many people going for, for a few spots. But it's definitely worth going for. Obviously, we've emphasised how competitive it is. You've demonstrated that if you're resilient, you will demonstrate the fact that you deserve it and you will get it. Absolutely. So and I think the most important thing for. is to just keep reflecting each time and... I mean, as I said, if you're not if you're not getting interviews, then you know what you need to be working on is your paper application, either how it's written or what it is that you're presenting on that application. Are there gaps? Have you not got enough experience or minis or whatever? So if you're not getting any interviews, then there's a problem with your paper application and you need there's things there that you can reflect on and work on for the next year. If you're getting off the paper and you're getting first round interviews, but you're not converting any of those into second round interviews, then you know that, okay, I clearly need to work on my interview technique and maybe I can go to some clinics or I can practice with some friends or I can really work on how to approach interviews. To be honest, if you're getting second round interviews anywhere, you're absolutely guaranteed, you're basically a shoe in I honestly think that anybody that gets to second round interviews, by that point, it's just luck. It's just mm -hmm. numbers. It's who they're looking for. And so if you're getting second round interviews and they're not being converted to offers, that's the scenario in which you absolutely have to be applying the following year. That would be a travesty if you didn't. Mm -hmm. I would still obviously encourage people to keep applying even at those other two stages I talked about because there's always things that you can work on for the next year. I just think it's important to reflect on what didn't work and then try and amend that for the following year. And hopefully, like me, it will be third time lucky. So it's definitely worth going for. And like you said, resilience is key. It's the, uh, not just a word. <laughs> it's not just a word, I promise you. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And um, it takes a while to, to legitimately get to the point where you do really feel very resilient. So I, I promise that, um, that if it takes a while, it is, it is still worth it in the end. So just a recap of the key dates. The Pupilage Gateway opens on the 28th of November, but you can start preparing now, as you've said. And you can submit your applications from the 7th of January until the 7th of February next year. And of course, there are also chambers outside of Gateway, which you should definitely be looking at. And some of those are already open. Right. So I'm pretty sure that there are some that are underway. And there's also a couple, my understanding... I think that there's a couple that if there's there's a few that have assessed many pupillages whose deadlines will be coming up before Christmas. Mm. So worth keeping an eye out for those. And whack them in the spreadsheet. Put them in the spreadsheet and then colour code them in red and put them at the top. <laughs> just, I mean, that's just You've my way of doing it. You've got down to a T. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. That was very useful. And I can say as somebody applying this year that that really was useful um, so thank you it's an absolute pleasure best of luck and for everybody listening thank you and join us again soon thanks for listening to the raising the bar podcast please subscribe rate and review and 
for more information, check us out on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI.